You're listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership and peak performance through interviews with some of the greatest team captains and thought leaders in the sports world. Now, here is your host, performance coach, speaker, and author, Ben Smith. Hey, Captain's Coach Podcast listeners, this is Ben Smith, the founder of the company, and we have an awesome guest that we are interviewing today. His name is Jack Clark, and if you have never heard of him, then you must not follow rugby because he is a legend in the sport. This year marks his 36th year of coaching at Cal. He has an all-time record of 653 wins and 92 losses in 15s, and 152 wins and 18 losses in rugby sevens. He has won a total of 29 national championships at the highest level of collegiate rugby. He has coached for the USA national team and is a member of the U.S. Rugby Hall of Fame. He was also chosen as one of Cal's 10 most influential sports figures of the 20th century. He has a great personal story and excellent insight and wisdom into leadership in sports. And so without further ado, here is my conversation with Coach Jack Clark. Coach Clark, welcome to the show. We are really excited to have you on today. Thank you, Ben. Pleased to be here. So for those of you who don't know, Coach Clark has had has done some amazing things. We talked about uh, all that he's done in the introduction here, but um, really excited to get some of his insights on how he's reached uh, such high level of success and what he does and what you do really to, you know, to develop leadership. So I think our starting point here, as we kind of discussed earlier, is, you know, you know, where do we start? And that's the definition of leadership for you. So could you go ahead and uh, kind of expound on how you define leadership within your culture and your team? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good starting point. I, um, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's not the conventional wisdom, probably. Um, I think conventional wisdom is we, we, we pick a few individuals within our organization, within our team, and, and the conventional wisdom is that they become our leaders, our captains, and, and I think by proxy, everyone else is a, a follower. Um, and, and I, I think I understand how, um, you know, that framework was developed. I just don't, you know, I just don't subscribe to it. Um, uh, we, we define um, leadership a little bit differently. Our, our actual definition in, in the glossary, if you will, is the ability to make those around you better and more productive. And I suppose, you know, you could think that's a bit of a dumbed down <laughs> you know, kind of definition, because certainly you don't have to be the best player on the team. You don't have to be a senior. Um, you know, you don't have to be this iconic individual within the organization. Um, it's by definition that it's an ability. It's not a rank. It's not a status. Um, it's an ability. Do you have the ability to make those around you better and more productive? I think those of us that have you know, been in organizations or been in sports teams before, we know lots of people that were the boss or the captain that, you know, had that authority, but they probably didn't maybe always have the ability to make those around them better and more productive. And, and that's, that's what we're after. You know, we're after um, having as many guys on that journey on our team as possible. Uh, I appreciate that um, some guys, you know, have a pretty full toolbox and they can, they can provide that leadership anytime, anywhere. 
Um, there's other players that are, you know, more, um, more recent into that journey and they, they might not have a lot of tools in their toolbox. So they're, they're not always going to, in any situation, um, be able to make those around them better and more productive, but that doesn't give them an out. It just means that that's where they are in their journey. We expect at some point in time that the longer you're on our team, the, the more capable you become in, um, in your leadership abilities. Um, I think the only thing to add to that, um, uh, Ben, would be that this doesn't, you know, this doesn't mean that we don't believe in chain of command because we do. We believe once a, you know, once a decision has been made that you know, we really need to point our nose in the same direction and go get it done together. Um, it's not okay to say, well, I have a better idea um, all the time. You know, it, that, that can't be the plan. I mean, I think we can have um, chain of command without chain of command hijacking the skill of leadership. Uh, I think we, we want the captain to have some authority on our team. We want the coach to have some authority. Um, but at the same time, we want everybody to have access to leadership. And, and I think that's, um, that's a somewhat unique view of, um, of how you parse leadership and captaincy. There are a couple of things that stick out to me from that. The first is authority versus ability. And the second is the idea that everyone has access to leadership. And I really like both of those. And I agree with them. Based on your definition of leadership, I think it would be pretty foolish for anyone to say that they would not want everyone to have an increased ability to influence others on the team to improve and be better. Now, I think in terms of hijacking leadership, the ones who mostly do that are parents and some coaches, certainly not yourself, as I know you've done such an awesome job, but I definitely see it a lot, in, especially in high school. But I think we've ripped the responsibilities and opportunities away for most of these athletes to experience and develop leadership. And that's how we truly develop leadership, I feel like, uh, which is just by doing it and getting the opportunity to succeed or fail in that endeavor. And a lot of athletes are not being given any kind of blueprint or are put into positions and are giving no sort of, again, opportunities, responsibilities outside of just maybe flipping the coin at midfield to start the game. And I know a lot of people, <clears throat> not a lot, I've had a couple of people mention they, they kind of get turned off just by looking at our title of captain's coach, but all we are really promoting is the leveraging of sports to better develop leadership in any athlete that's choosing to do so. Uh, it'd be like telling an executive leadership coach who works with CEOs that they must not care or want to develop leadership in any of the middle managers or employees in the company, which is really definitely not the case. You know, that person just has a niche and is focused on pouring into a few individuals who in turn can rep reproduce further leaders in the organization based on that improvement. Uh, and I think it's from this method of pouring into a few that a leadership culture can exist at an accelerated rate. So I, I am glad that you clarify <clears throat> how you do believe in a chain of command. I think that this is important. I found that some teams that do not select team captains sometimes have what's called a bystander effect that occurs on some of their teams. There's this big void within the team that goes unfilled, and I think that having someone ultimately responsible at the player's level is a wise decision, and it also fits well with how the world actually functions. So I know that some teams are afraid to select team captains because they might not want any one person to feel too special or above the team or because they want everyone to be a leader. But my thought is that it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. You can have a great culture of leadership that fosters excellent team captains and, like you mentioned, 
earlier lieutenants um, in your program that have excellent leadership as well throughout the team. And leadership begets leadership. It is at any point in time that any individual, any athlete outside of the team captain that can step up and lead whenever they see fit. So I think at the end of the day, getting the culture right is where it all starts, which I know that you at Cal have really done an excellent job of and have put a lot of emphasis and focus in. And so with all that being said, do you all select team captains in your program? Yes, we do. Um, uh, I think we, we've done it a few different ways over the years. I've been at this a while. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, um, probably the best way to say how it happens now, or at least over the past um, decade or so, it's, it's been with a lot of input from the team. Um, there are certain individuals on the team that I think probably have the team's pulse better than others. Um, and uh, I'd be interested to, to want to know who they think and would be the best captain um, or the best captains or maybe captains and vice captains. I mean, I, I, I think we've, we've, we've had various structures. I mean, we've had as many as three or four guys be co-captains. We've had one captain and a couple of vice captains. Um, I, but I'm, in, I'm interested in, in the team's feelings about that. Um, I, I'm not probably going to um, take a vote. Um, I'm, I'm going to probably go to those individuals, I think, that have the best perspectives on what we need um, uh, via that visa that role and then um, and then ponder on it myself and with with our staff and and then talk to an individual about whether they'd be interested in being the captain I think I've done it I think I've come to that determination at least once without even talking to the person because I just knew we needed them so bad badly that they were really the right person for the job and <laughs> I didn't want to be talked out of it uh, <laughs> But, uh, I mean, th that's, um, you know, that's, I suppose, the framework. Um, I mean, every team's different. I mean, some teams really do need um, a lot from a captain. Um, other teams, you know, probably need a lot less from the captain, and less is really more in that situation. Um, you know, some teams are, are a little bit starved by way of uh, um, the, the – the individuals on the team that could aspire to that kind of a role, there might only be a person or two. Other teams really have a lot of people. You're really picking from strength. And, and I think though that's, that's really the interesting thing is like, you know, how do we, how do we use all those people? How do we find a way to, to make them really, you know, trusted lieutenants to that captain to make sure that their voice resonating on our our biggest decisions uh, on the field and off the field and, um, but no I, I believe in the role now I, I don't you know I don't want that that, that role to become you know um, you know labor and management I don't I, I don't want to have to you know talk you know to my team through that person um, or that player um, I, I want to make sure that you know it's additive to what we already have and um, I guess then, you know, that just, as we unpack that, it speaks to really, what do you want that person to do? And I think, you know, I don't want that person to do too much more than what the other, you know, really core leaders on the team might do. The people that are, you know, best 
have the best ability to provide some leadership, I, I don't want to, I don't want to squelch any of that. I want to, I want to bring as much leadership to the team as we possibly can. So I don't want, um, I don't want there to be a narrow funnel that has to come through any one or two um, individuals. Um, but you know, the role of that person is to speak with the team's voice. That person is going to disproportionately have to represent us um, in a media setting, in a institutional setting, in a competition setting. And I, you know, I want that person to be able to, you know, to be the us and we person and to really speak with the team's voice and to represent us in a way that um, uh, we deserve to be represented. Uh, I want that person to um, really have the the best idea of uh, what our strengths are on, on, on the field. I want them to know whatever our game plans are um, the best. I want them to be able to know at what point are we going to make adjustment, uh, adjustments and deviate from what our plan is. So strategically and tactically, that person has to really implement a plan for us on competition day. Um, and I think, you know, the characteristic that really jumps out at me is, um, is do they have a capacity for this kind of work? I mean, to really, um, to really be curious about the team, you know, about how we're doing people that don't have a lot of emotional energy for worrying about other people (laughs) and, uh, what they might be thinking or not thinking. I mean, that's, they're probably not, not cut out for the captaincy role because it's a role of you really do have to want to know you've got to you've got to want to ask a lot of questions and have a lot of one-on-one conversations and and make sure that you know if you have something you need to battle on you can battle on it at the appropriate time and that you know we you know we're we have full alignment once we're in competition and um, there's just a curiosity, I think, is, is what I find. I mean, the people that are really curious about the team and worry a little bit, right? I mean, maybe it's just the Irish in me that, that finds worry, worry, uh, worrying um, comfort, comforting. But, uh, you, you know, you have to worry about it. You've got you've to think, what if, you know, this happens? Or what if that happens? Yeah. What's our response going to be? And, um, and, and so I want, I, I think those are the characteristics that I would, we want out of a captain. And, uh, um, but no, we don't, this is not the person that's going to have the last word after every training session. This isn't a person that is, you know, um, you know, going to funnel all of the team's thoughts. Um, we want to make sure, I mean, we have, you know, we have meetings where, you know, that, that, that it's very collaborative in that room. You know, if you've got something to say, you know, you put up your hand and you say it. And, uh, and then we talk about what you just said. And, and if it makes sense, it'll get traction in that room. If somebody else has a better idea, that's what will get traction. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not restricting that, that, that flow of energy and that flow of teamship uh, in any way. Uh, and th- there can be some side effects like that, you know, if, if people are rigid with, you know, the roles of what a captain does and doesn't do. A couple things there. Um, so Brett Ledbetter does a great job, uh, like a lot of his stuff. And he came up with, uh, you know, I know you were interviewed by him, but one of the things he came across and I guess created was the, uh, the character skills uh, the yeah. versus the moral, which I really love. And I always was very interested about this, uh, 
I think curiosity was on the performance uh, skill set. So that's interesting because I've never really heard anybody expound on on that being such a uh, a specific skill that's important to leadership. So I think that's really uh, great insight there. Um, and then outside of that, I do agree. I think people support what they create. So the more individuals that you get involved with the decision-making process um, in terms of leadership and not just having the team captain do, do everything, you know, I think that's, that's vital to a team. And, um, and so I guess my next question moving forward is you know, a lot of, of coaches struggle with, with doing this at all. And so what we're trying to do is provide, um, you know, uh, actionable steps that these for these team captains, just athletes in general who want to be better leaders, you know, what do they do on a day to day basis? I mean, they're not getting any dues and responsibilities. They're not being given any type of education or training, not that that's the best way to teach leadership at all. Um, but I, I love to know what are some specific things that you do on a like day to day basis, if it's for the team captains or for just your athletes in general, that is specific to uh, and that you feel like really works in developing leadership? Um, yeah, so, I mean, so leadership is, is one of the things that we value. Um, it's only one of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, just ripping through them really quickly and not, you know, digging down, but we believe in selflessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe in, you know, constant performance improvement, that's that's believing in getting better and not just worrying about what the scoreboard says, but actually, you know, improving. Um, and we believe in merit and that, you know, you have to be getting something done if you want your voice to resonate in our team. Um, we believe in that meritocracy. We don't believe it's um, anything else other than performance-based. Um, you know, we believe in toughness and we describe that as a mental toughness. Again, there's always definitions for all this stuff, but, you know, um, you know, we believe toughness and mental toughness is the ability to focus on the next most important thing. And if you, if you think about that, you don't have to access mental toughness when things are going really well. (laughs) It's when things are pear shaped and things are really, you're really in a dire situation is when you have to access mental toughness. And we want to have the ability, again, the ability to focus on the next most important thing and to put our energy and our focus into that moment. And, and then leadership. Um, so the, the answer to the question is, is that leadership, you know, lives in all of those things. Um, and I'm, I'm more interested in making sure that our values, those things we believe in as a team, that we're going to fight for. That's what we mean when we say values. I mean, this is line in the sand stuff. We're not, we're not giving any inches on any of this stuff, right? Um, we want to make sure that we're measuring these things. You know, these aren't just, you know, meaningless sayings on the gym wall or something that, you know, is, is in some, you know, stilted PowerPoint presentation. I mean, this, this, is, this is a living document. We're, we're living these, these values every day within our organization. And therefore, you know, we're always talking about them. Um, uh, we're, and we're measuring them when we fall short, you know, we have to put up our hand and say, we fell short in an area, whether we did it collectively or we did it as an individual. And, um, and then we have to recalibrate and, you know, make a new plan to, to kind of achieve in, in, in a given area of those values. And then finally, when we really get it right, we want to celebrate them. We want to make sure that we're acknowledging people that are, 
that are living up to these standards within within those values. And leadership is just one of those things. So I, I, I think if you want somebody to be selfless or you want somebody to be able to be a good leader, it's the same thing, right? I mean, it's it's the same process. You've got to identify it. You've got to talk about it. you got to, you know, you've got to, you know, witness that you're committed to it and that you understand the organization is committed to it and that you, you, you've got to be willing to um, submit yourself to being coached in these areas and, um, and being held accountable by your teammates, uh, especially in these areas. Absolutely. On our end with the captain's coach, we really are a fan of how John Maxwell defines leadership, which is that leadership is equal to influence. And to be able to influence requires that you have a high level of character, that you understand how to communicate in a way that connects and that you are competent in your role. Or maybe it could be that you have wisdom, mental resiliency, high emotional intelligence. It's the increase of all of these skills that ultimately allow you to be more influential. And leadership has become a big buzzword today. But I like how you emphasize how leadership is just one value within your program. And you have a multitude of other things that you all focus on that actually ends up developing great leaders within your organization. You specifically mentioned some of your values you foster, such as improvement, selflessness, and toughness. One of the values, uh, the one of, of constant performance improvement is a value that I absolutely love. I've personally taken some work from Tony Robbins that I call the fulfillment framework. And he, you know, he says that there are six core human needs that all of us have. And two of the most important ones are growth and contribution. And so focusing on growth here, we all have this innate desire to grow. And if you aren't growing, then you're dying. And, and I think that being able to not just focus on growth and improvement, but actually being able to prove and show how your team has, a, show how your team has improved is vital for a team. So I would love to know how exactly you are measuring some of these tangible and intangible things. Well, um, yeah, certainly there's, um, there's real statistics, um, there's real um, analysis, you know, um, in, involved. Um, and at the same time, yeah, some of it, you know, might be subjective. It, it might be an opinion. Um, you know, our normal game day is on a Saturday. And, you know, we report Sunday morning pretty early for MedCheck. And then we have a regen activity based on, you know, how players present from the competition and um, um, minutes played. And, you know, they'd be in different protocols for their regen based on how they present and med check. But then we're going to go into the longest meeting of the week. Now, you know, Sunday is a 24-hour clock, right? So, you know, we really have the student-athletes, um, you know, at our disposal. And... And, uh, you know, we're going to use, you know, uh, maybe as much as a two-hour meeting. And uh, now that's still leaves plenty of time for, you know, religious services and, you know, studying and kicking it on the couch. Because, again, it's a 24-hour day is the way to think about it, I, I believe. Uh -huh. And in that meeting, I mean, I think if you went into that room, um, lecture-style meeting room, a bunch of notebooks out, and, and you heard that conversation – um, that dialogue, you wouldn't really know whether we won by 50 or we lost by 50. It, it, there wouldn't be any, well, we were good at this, therefore we you know, really don't need to talk about it. I, I think it would be, you'd be surprised. And what we would typically do by way of structure, that meeting is going to start with, okay, what did we do well? 
and and people are really gonna you know raise their hand and say well i thought i thought our ball handling was really really good and somebody else is going to say well yeah it was in general but until we really needed it being good it wasn't good around the goal line i didn't think and this you know and and there's going to be a dialogue around the team on whether we're going to put up ball handling as something that was was something we did well was the strength of our game that day and we're going to build a long list this way and it's going to be well vetted you know i'm i'm prepared to lead this discussion i'm prepared to not let something go up there that shouldn't go up there and i'm i'm willing to remind them of something that should have gone up there that they didn't think about this is going to be a well vetted list um and you can see now you know if you if you extrapolate this several weeks in advance at some point we could say well guys tackling's been up here three weeks in a row um do you think that means that you know our tackling is strong that it's something that we can leverage going forward is something that we can get more out of and how how do we leverage that now this is this is sport of study is what this is man this is taking this is beyond statistics and um and this is really taking it to the next level where it becomes really part of our identity. It becomes part of our strategy. Now, when we're done with what did we do well, we're going to talk about what do we have to improve upon. And the hands are going to fly up in the room. There's going to be a lot more engagement on this point than there was the first point. And, and, and people are going to say, this is, this, this is an area we need to improve. And at no point in time is a score, is the result ever mentioned. This is what, you know, constant performance improvements about is when you're, you know, you, you're willing to get onto the margins and find something that we can do better, that we're capable of doing better. And uh, I, I think most players might leave that that team meeting going. They, they kind of know what training is going to be like next week. They know what activities are probably going to be planned. It's going to have something to do with we're going to find a way to leverage something we're really doing well. And we're probably going to try to eliminate something uh, from the you know, we need to do a better column and we're probably going to, there's going to be some activities around that where we're going to try to develop a new understanding or a new skill set uh, or an improved understanding and an improved skill set. So, um, I mean, that's an example, I guess, of, of measuring improvement. Um, you know, it's one of these strange things that you find, that, you know, that no one ever tells you about, but, you know, teams are either getting better or they're getting worse. You know, there's really nothing in between. And, and they don't really tell us that anywhere, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's logical to think that if you're, you know, winning games and you're doing well, that um, everything's going all right. And, and, you know, it might be and it might not be. <laughs> um, it's, it's your performance, right? And uh, you can go back to coaches long before me, the John Woodens of the world, that, that really went out of their way to say it's per performance over results. So coach, kind of taking a step back here, um, I know that there's been a lot of changes uh, just just in our culture, um, but specifically in the sports culture too, and in this country. So I just wanted to see like within the last five to 10 years, what kind of changes have really, uh, have you seen that you and your team have really had to kind of like overcome? Um, uh, I mean, I think there, there's there's been more technology um, at our disposal. Um, we're able to capture more and analyze more. Um, a lot of that uh, technology is available to us in real time. Um, I mean, when I first started coaching, you know, it was, a, it was a big old VHS tape and we'd go tape to tape to make a tape to show the team, you know, and right. 
now we everything's digital and we can you know we can digitally code uh, a game and be able to distribute um, an individual player's moments or various aspects of play in a um, you know in a really um, you know convenient and efficient way so um, you know and then you throw in you know GPS and there's been there's been a lot of technology really on the um, pre-participation front, which is which is I think help um, player welfare and concussions and um, so I, I I think the invest and, and they've mostly been in advancements that have um, that have helped the experience and help and help performance. Um, I think there's people that you know want to uh, rail on about millennials and how things aren't as good as they used to be and you know that that's none of that's very helpful to me um you know i'm uh, the young men i'm coaching today are as good as any generation that i've coached um the best today or they do they do they do fine in in the generation that i first started coaching so um you know might there you know might lessons of values and um you know what how we do things here might those lessons be more needed than ever before probably mm-hmm. um which which um which means that i've got even a you know a stronger duty to make sure that what we're doing in sport has a has a significant role in people's lives after sport i i mean i i believe that our guys are getting a phd in team and um you know, I work at a big world-class university, um, often rated the best public school in the world. And, you know, team isn't taught anywhere on our campus, not really. Um, and uh, so I'm, I have to believe that the, that the young men that are in my charge, that they, you know, that they're getting a proprietary skill set. They, I mean, they know what a good team looks like. Um, they, they probably have an idea what a bad team looks like. They definitely know what a good teammate is and how that how that teammate can inspire and um and they they probably had a bad teammate and they they know the you know how 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 it is you have to negotiate sometimes you know a bad teammate they know a lot about competition and i just find it to be i mean if you believe like i do the team is really an important quality um i believe that what we're doing is is more beneficial now than it's ever been yeah, you mentioned before we recorded how many great young men have graduated and are holding top-level positions in business or the military like at Top Gun or uh, the government. And there's no doubt that you and their rugby experience played a, a massive role in preparing them effectively for the next chapter of their lives. My next question for you is in terms of recruiting. What do you look for while recruiting and do you have any red flags that stops you from selecting someone into your program? You know, I mean, I earlier I I, I kind of um, shared some of our values. If I, I mean, if I believe that you know somebody couldn't be selfless, that couldn't um, you know see their team, uh, see themselves uh, through the team, um, that'd probably be disappointing to me. And um, I don't know that we'd be looking to add somebody like that to our team. Um, but we're, we're not trying to disqualify people. We're trying to find people that we think have the potential to be really good collegiate rugby players, even in, if they're a bit raw coming in the door. I mean, that's what we do for a living here is 
help people develop. And uh, so we're, you know, we're looking for people that athletically project that we think have a mentality that is going to, you know, allow them to um, be a good rugby player. We're trying to parse the same way everyone else is cognitive versus non-cognitive. We're trying to find people that we think that can grind they can, you know, they don't need it to be nice and easy that uh, when it gets really hard and difficult that they can, uh, you know, they can stay at it and um, keep competing. Um, so, you know, that's what we're looking for. I mean, we have a, you know, we have a few mottos and, and mindsets that, that kind of direct us. Um, we say by way of a mindset that, um, you know, that we're grateful for everything and, and we're entitled to nothing. And I guess if I felt that somebody, you know, couldn't have that, that gratitude in their heart, um, you know, they, they would probably be a bad fit. If, if they thought they were entitled to something, probably not going to be a very good fit here. Um, and then, you know, there's this Latin phrase that, that, you know, hangs over the office door, you know, that, um, Spectrum Argento, which, you know, which, you know, loosely translates into being, into being known by your deeds. And, um, you know, so we want people that, you know, aren't just building a, a, a verbal narrative around their life. We want people that, you know, are actually doing things that becomes clear, you know, what they stand for and what they believe in and, and um, that they're willing to be known by their deeds. And, so, we're, you know, there's a lot of people like looking for that, you know, stuff, right? I mean, and I, my recruiting philosophy is not to sell. I mean, I think I'd be pretty good at selling this opportunity, but I, it, it jumps out at me as being not the right thing to do. That I, I, We're probably just making a match is what we really need to do. We need to find the people who are looking for us. And, um, and when we make that match, typically, you know, it all works. You know, the young people go from strength to strength to strength, and we win a few rugby games, and they go on and, you know, change the world when they matriculate. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in making a match. I'm not really interested in selling anybody, and I, I don't necessarily have a series of red flags if you do this. And, I mean, we get a, we get a chance to see young people with their parents, and, you know, mom and dad are always going to ask an awkward question. And, you know, I'm interested always to see, you know, the response of, you know, I mean, these are your parents, you know, you, you, you got to give some leeway there. Right. I mean, I thought if a kid was embarrassed in some way, I don't know. I mean, that probably wouldn't sit well with me, but I mean, the main thing here, Ben, is that, you know, I, I look at, um, all of these people is being in my charge and it's my job to pull them over the finish line before they leave. And, and, um, you know, if I've got to separate from somebody, you know, I drive home that night as a, as a loser, you know, cause I'm, I'm always going to do what's best for the team first. That's the first lens that's going to come down is what's best for the team. And, um, but if I can't convince somebody, you know, at this stage of my career to, that the team's important and that, you know, it, it feels good to, you know, be able part of something bigger than yourself and it's important for you to do that if I can't convince somebody of that then you know it's really my failure more than it is their failure you know these are young people we're talking about and uh so yeah I'm I'm a bit of a you know gambler in the fact that I'm happy to if I think somebody's really intriguing if I think they have an intriguing mentality or 
they have a very high um, up, upper end of their athleticism or skill sets. You know, I'm, I'm typically willing to, you know, make a bet on them and, and, and see if I can, you know, bring them around and maybe, you know, smooth over a few of those rough areas where we maybe had questions. So, um, yeah, I'm, it's, it's um, you know, just trying to find the people who are looking for us. I love that. And I love how much ownership you take. A lot of coaches will just blame the millennial generation for how bad or hard they are to manage and, or how they don't respect authority. But I love how you hold yourself accountable to being the one who can and should be able to influence them to buy into the team. And I know that can be a heavy weight too when it does not go as planned, but I definitely appreciate the amount of ownership that you take and are taking with, you know, the culture and team. And I think that that really goes a long way. And, uh, so what advice do you have for athletes who are looking for guidance and leadership development who are not really getting that from their current coach uh, or program that they are in right now? Um, yeah, I think we all know more than we really think. You know, I mean, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, if we really um, reflect on the experiences we have. I mean, there's some, there's some social science that says that you know, 10 years or 10,000 hours to be an expert at something. And, you know, by the time you reach university, I mean, a lot of these young people, they've been a part of teams for 10 years already. You know, <laughs> they've, 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 um, they've bypassed that, that threshold and they, they really do have a lot of experiences. And, and I'm not saying, you know, don't continue with your uh, education around um, teamship and leadership. And uh, I'm not saying don't do that. But I, I think the most important thing is to make sure that, you know, these experiences that you've actually lived, that you know cold, that you're really learning from them, that they, they, they do affect you and they, they do inform, you know, how it is that you go forward. So, um, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that. Just remind yourself of everything you've gone through, take an inventory. I mean, these are the things we don't do well in sport, right? Where, you know, it's quick to say that we're, you know, we're, we're eight and 20 or we're 20 and eight. And, and that, that becomes our story, the results. And what we fail to do a lot of times is just to sit down and, and do a proper audit, do a proper technical audit of what really happened and make sure that, you know, we're, we're identifying those things that we're get we got right. And that, and that, you know, we can count on going forward and, and make sure that we identify those things that we're going to find a new way to do. We're going to pivot away from how we used to do it. And then that middle chunk, which is the biggest chunk, that's somewhat inconclusive, that, that we know why we're sticking with something or we know why we're changing. And some of that might be subjective. It might be gut. But, you know, it's a very thoughtful thing to take a, uh, a little bit of inventory. And that's what, that's what I think players need to do. They need to do the same thing. And then, of course, they need to be able to model their own performance. I think we spend too much time talking about what players don't do as, as opposed to what their strengths are. And I'm a big believer in really understanding what their strengths are and building an approach to their own success based on their strengths, not on the handful of things that they don't do well, but on those handful of things that they can do anytime, anywhere, and that they're really good at. Um, so I want to model out people's performance and, you know, that's the same thing that you can do with somebody that aspires to be a captain. I mean, they can, they can, they can learn from all the captains that they've had previously and they can, um, think about how they would do things differently based on who they are and to, you know, remain authentic to themselves. 
Um, but I, I think it's the experiences that we have. And I mean, might it be in a book? Might it be in a podcast? Might it be, um, you know, sometimes looking at other teams, shadowing other teams, talking to other athletes, certainly being curious about those things that you don't know you don't even know. I mean, all of that becomes important, but don't forget the experiences you already have and you already own. Don't, don't forget to reflect on those and analyze those experiences and allow them to inform you going forward. I love that you said we know more than we think. That is such a true statement that within us are a lot of experiences and truth. And if we just took the time to reflect on that, we would be much wiser for it. And it kind of reminds me of randomly Michelangelo and how he believed that in each block of stone, there was a figure hidden inside waiting to be revealed and that it was the sculptor's job to reveal the masterpiece within. That also leads me to the difference between teaching and coaching. I think that true coaches ask more questions and provide more experiences for those individuals to unearth their true selves. So this all brings me to a secondary question about reflection. Uh, Could we see the best three ways to reflect as being journaling or finding a mentor or joining a mastermind group or becoming a team that can help you reflect as a group. But in terms of journaling, do you have a journaling process yourself as a coach or do you have any of your athletes journal? Yeah, I, I, um, you know, I mean, I, it would be really easy for me to kind of go to my computer and hit a button and print out everything I believe in and every, everything technically, everything on the field, off the field that, that we, we do. Um, but I don't, you know, I, 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 you know, we, we, we let that come out in, in meetings uh, together and we ask players to come in with their own notebook and um, to develop their own notes so that it's in their words and they can look back on it and study it. And I know it'd be easier for everyone if we just, you know, printed out some really nice material and put it all in a, in a, in a team technical guide or a handbook and, and gave it to them. But I think there's some real power in sport as study, as in people really learning, being able to reflect back. And part of that is, you know, throughout the course of the year, you know, we start, you know, our, our technical menus are a little bit uh, shallow at first. I mean, we want to do a handful of things. We want to do them well. But as the season goes on, we become increasingly more sophisticated in what we're doing technically. We're always adding new elements to our play. And, um, and, and those elements sometimes are added on the field and players really need to go back and, and, and journal those things. Now, once, you know, what we learned is you code the mind uh, with a you know, paper and pen, right? Uh, not with your keyboard. And so once you get people, you know, using, you know, pen and paper and actually writing down what they're remembering, going back and studying what they, what they wrote down earlier, and putting their own reflections in that from time to time, um, you know, you're, you're, you're well on your way to, to that journaling that you're talking about. Excellent. Well, last two questions I have for you, Coach, are what is your favorite book on coaching or leadership? And secondly, what is a favorite quote that you really appreciate? Um, you know, I, you know, I, I really enjoy, um, reading um, about about sport and um, particularly like reading about um, people that have had a very successful journey in business and sport. Um, I think the 
book that's made the biggest impact on me lately has been a book that was a bestseller for a while. It's called Strengths, and that's plural, Strengths-Based Leadership. Um, I found it to be a really interesting book, you know, in, in um, both informing how it is you work with a team, uh, what, is, what are those things that give people real satisfaction and, you know, keep them at the job, um, doing their best. And then finally, just a little bit about, you know, how do people use their strengths to, you know, propel them to great success. I think as for coaches out there, I think a lot of times as coaches, we think we have to check all the boxes. And I, I, I don't think um, we should think we don't necessarily. I mean, I don't think we can have big voids where we're no good at stuff. You know, we have these deficiencies. I don't think that's a good idea in coaching. But I, I think if you if you leave a few boxes unchecked that it's not really an expertise of yours, but if you can really check and then circle and then star a few boxes, that those are areas that you're really, really good in, that becomes your brilliance. That becomes what will carry you and your team to success. Policy to think that, you know, the best people, um, you know, check all the boxes, they, these iconic people, and when reality is they don't check all the boxes, um, but they really have a brilliance that will carry them through. And then the other lesson that I started with there was just this notion that, you know, get, getting to know somebody and that you know somebody's strengths as well as they do, if not better, that gives them a form of satisfaction that's, you know, better than anything they could get, you know. And in the business world, it's better than a raise and better than a promotion. It's better than the corner office. If your boss gets you, that's a pretty good feeling. And that works also for athletes. Um, if you really understand their strengths and can talk about their strengths better than they can, you know, that'll, that'll create an alliance there that is, is pretty hard to break. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah. strengths-based leadership. Yeah. I love it. And then how about your, uh, maybe a quote to kind of give the audience that you really appreciate. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I shared a couple, you know, quotes with you, grateful for everything entitled to nothing that was, you know, I mean, you know, that's mine. And, um, and it's, um, I, I've been spreading that around for a lot of years and then to be known by your deeds. I, I, I did have a, um, I did, I did hear firsthand a, a good quote from a really good football coach one time, Bo Schembecker. And he was talking about recruiting. He was talking about bringing a, bringing a player to your team. And uh, he explained a way that if you, if you don't get that player and he actually goes somewhere else, that's okay. He'll only beat you once a year. And I thought, well, that was kind of clever. And then this old boy cleared his throat and said, on the other hand, if you get the wrong guy on your team, he'll beat you every day. And I thought how powerful that was, you know, how powerful it is to make sure that, you know, we don't have somebody within our ranks that's beating us every day. You know? Yeah, that's excellent. I, I certainly agree. And, um, well, Coach, I, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to meet with us. You know, you're a legend in rugby, and uh, you've had a lot of success. And so definitely a lot of wisdom and insight that you provide for us. So we're definitely very appreciative of you taking the time and helping us uh, kind of solve some of the different problems we see in sports and as we just continue to make our way in our own leadership journey. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Ben Smith. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.